بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد ويان آية نمبر 31 سورة السبع سورة نمبر 34 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال الذين كفروا لن نؤمن بهذا القرآن ولا بالذي بين يديه We started discussing this ayah Those who disbelieve, they say that they will never believe in this Quran nor anything that is in front of it or revealed before it or that comes with it وَلَوْ تَرَائِذِ الظَّالِمُونَ مَوْقُوفُونَ عِنَّ رَبِّهِمْ يَرْجِعُ بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٍ الْقَوْلِ And if only you were to see the time when the ظالمون, those who are unjust and wrongdoers, they will be made to stand and stop in front of their Lord and they will be controverting one another. Uh, they will be returning statements to one another. يَرْجِعُ بَعْضُمْ إِلَىٰ بَعْضِ لِلْقَوْلِ So they will be arguing with each other on that day in front of their Lord. So there will be two camps. First camp, يَقُولُ الَّذِينَ اسْتُدْعِفُوا are those who were deemed weak in the world, the followers. So those who followed others in the world, and they followed because they were deemed weak. So this group will say, For those who are arrogant and proud, they will say to them, لَوْ لَا أَنْتُمْ لَكُنَّا مُؤْمِنِينَ Had it not been for you, we would have been believers. So on the day of judgment, there will be a place and a time for this dialogue and exchange to happen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show the world that those who are deemed weak and insignificant they will have the ability to charge those who are proud and arrogant uh, of this. So that is their claim. Lola antum, had it not been for you, lakunna mu'mineen, we would have been believers. So Allah is uh, setting the stage for uh, this day of judgment and reprisal, retribution. So at least they can say this to those people. قَالَ الَّذِينَ اسْتَكْبَرُوا لِلَّذِينَ اسْتُضْعِفُوا Those who were proud and arrogant, they will respond to those who were deemed weak. أَنَحْنُ صَدَدْنَاكُمْ عَنِ الْهُدَى Did we really prevent you by force from believing in the guidance, against the guidance? بَعْدَ إِذْ جَاءَكُمْ after guidance came to you, but no, the fact of the matter is, kuntum mujrimin. You were not 
believers, you were criminals. You did not believe because you were guilty of a crime, and that crime is disbelief. Whether we assisted you or did not help you or prevented you, that remains secondary. You are responsible for your actions, as we know from other places in the Quran. No one carries the burden of other people, and no one carries the sin of other people. You were a group of people, you had your mind, and you had your thinking, and you had your abilities. You chose to be from those people who did not believe, so you cannot blame us for being the reason and for the cause of your dhulm and of your disbelief. This is an exchange that happens in front of Allah. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ اسْتُضْعِفُوا لِلَّذِينَ اسْتَكْبَرُوا When the people who were deemed weak, they will respond to those who were proud and arrogant. بَلْ مَكْرُ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّارُ They will say no. Although that might be true that we were ultimately responsible, but it was your scheming in the day and night. بَلْ مَكْرُ اللَّيْلِ your scheming in the day and your scheming at night your scheming at night and your scheming in the day is the reason why we were turned away from guidance and we were misled by you as the first cause when you commanded us to disbelieve in Allah that we were the weaker side and the weaker group and the weaker community. We were not as smart or intellectual or politically savvy as you. We did not have the economic clout. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the resources. So you took advantage of us and you schemed in the night and you schemed in the day. You plotted in the night. You plotted in the day. And then you told us, you ordered us that we should disbelieve in Allah because there was a threat of losing jobs, a threat of poverty, a threat that somebody else might come and kill you and disturb you and you disturb your way of life. Everything that human beings do in order to stop others from believing in the truth that goes against their values and uh, their worldviews and ultimately their ability, ability to rule, dominate, govern, manipulate, exploit, etc. This is all in the word makr. Why do people want others to follow them? Because number one is an ego, which is implied in the word istakbara. The devil has an ego. He wanted to see himself bigger than Adam. So then he schemes, he insinuates, he plots, and so on. Likewise, these people in the world who wanted others to follow them, and to subjugate them, and who wanted to rule and govern these people, they schemed in the night, and they schemed in the day. And eventually the order was, uh, that we, meaning those who were deemed weak, we should disbelieve in God. And we should make up rivals for him. That this system is a rival to God, and this 
leader is a rival to God and this uh, public figure is a rival to God. If you follow this one, then God will be happy with you. And if you don't, God will not be happy with you. This is the way human beings behave when they sense and smell power and they want more of it and they want more domination, more control and more abilities to exploit the needs of other people. So this dialogue happens on the Day of Judgment in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah allows the dialogue as uh, giving people a sense of judgment. Uh, but the truth is, when they will see the punishment in front of them, they will hide and conceal their remorse and their sorrow, both, because they did not want. No, they will not want to show these people whom they exploited that they're sorry for what they did. So there's an arrogance even there. And that you don't concede defeat in front of people that you assumed were going to worship you and follow you. So you say, well, They will conceal and hide their remorse and their regret when they see the punishment. And we will put and place shackles around the necks of those who disbelieved. Uh, and so on. It means to tie somebody around the neck. So there will be shackles, there will be yokes, uh, whatever is meant by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning they will not be allowed to move their necks and they will not be allowed to do anything in front of Allah. Their punishment will begin by being humiliated first. So the punishment for istikbar and kibar and arrogance and pride is humiliation. And that is what Allah is saying. They will be made to suffer humiliation first. And are they going to be now given reward for anything except for which what they did. Meaning the act will justify the, the punishment. The crime fits the punishment for these people that they uh, exploited the minds and hearts and intentions and needs of people as if they are God, God themselves. This is the meaning of that you make and appoint and appropriate rivals in front of Allah to show people if you believe in this leader then you will get what God wants you to receive. And then people are mesmerized and people are gullible and people are made to do what they think is going to be conducive to their well-being in this world, which ultimately, mean, ultimately means that they disbelieve in Allah and Allah's plans and Allah's promises of sukoon in this world and sukoon in the hereafter. So you can see that all the scheming and plotting of people in order to keep power, maintain power, preserve power, to dominate, to control and exploit is going to be uh, now disclosed 
on the Day of Judgment. So whatever strategies and ploys they use, tactics they use, they will be disclosed and people will see the truth and people will see that although ultimately it's their own action that Allah will be judging, even though the people who stopped them from believing are also guilty of two crimes, they're guilty of one crime. Not believing is a crime, a sin. And then those who mislead others and stop them from believing, they're guilty of two sins. Either way, everybody's guilty on the Day of Judgment if they have committed an injustice, either against themselves and or against other people, because that's the Day of Judgment. So the whole discussion starts with the beginning of Ayah 31. Those who disbelieve say they will never believe in this Qur'an. So because their intention is not to uh, submit and acquiesce to a a creator and a maker who is supreme, the one who gave them intellect in the first place, everything else is a byproduct of that initial disbelief that we don't want revelation, we don't need anyone else to referee us in our lives, We don't want anyone to judge us in our morality, in our behavior. We don't want anyone outside of our system to tell us that this is legal or illegal. We will conclude and deduce ourselves. We don't need anyone who is outside of our circle to tell us whether we are right or wrong. And that's the implication of not believing in this Qur'an and anything that comes with the Qur'an. So Allah Adana makes this conclusion and draw, depicts this picture for us that on the Day of Judgment all of this scheming plotting will come out into the open and this dialogue will occur. One party will uh, admonish the other and the other will further admonish the first. So it's continuous. But they will all eat the humble pie and they'll be made to unfortunately pay for their crimes and for their sins and error. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا فِي قَرْيَةٍ مِّن نَذِيرٍ إِلَّا قَالَ مُطْرَفُوهَا إِنَّا بِمَا أُرْسِلْتُمْ بِهِ كَافِرُونَ Another fact of human history is this, that we have not sent in any community, any township, any warner, meaning a Nabi or Rasul, except that those who were affluent, mutrafuha, except those who are affluent in that community, they have said always, and that indeed we disbelieve in whatever it is you have been sent with. Inna bima bihi kafirun. We are not going to accept anything you have been sent with as far as revelation, as far as moral conduct and behavior, as far as reforming ethics and policies and our economy or philosophy of economy and the philosophy of government and the philosophy of justice, etc. 
So it's usually those who are well off and well to do and those who are in power that reject wahi first. So wahi in the Quran, when you study all the prophets, you'll see that their message is usually to those communities that are well to do, those communities that are prosperous in the world. And those communities that have a lot of power and a lot of clout over other people. Allah sent messengers to these people primarily. Very rarely will you see that a Nabi talks to people who are underprivileged. Very rarely. As a rule. Yusuf spoke to uh, people in the prison. Right? That is there. But other than that, you will be hard-pressed to find a person who is appointed by Allah as a Nabi or a Nadir, a warner, that he's going to talk to people who are downtrodden. Because the downtrodden people usually don't need that much reform. It is the affluent who need reform because they don't care for God. They don't care for morality. In fact, they will justify their immorality because of their wealth and their lifestyle and their affluence and so on. So here the Quran says, إِلَّا That whenever we send a messenger or a warner, it is the affluent in the community that are the first to reject and deny the message because they feel they are independent and they have no need for higher intelligence or higher moral standards or a supra-rational uh, means of communication to uh, improve the uh, mind and the mindset of human beings. Because they see themselves as independent, istaghna as in Man is very uh, tyrannical and transgressing all the time because he seems himself to be independent. He believes he's independent. When you have a lot of money, power, uh, influence, affluence, then you don't need anybody. I have everything, mashallah, in front of me at my disposal. Why do I need a God? Why do I need a religion? Why do I need somebody to tell me your lifestyle is wrong? I don't need anything because I have everything. So this is the usual rule in human history. It's a cosmological rule which Allah subhanahu allows, but he is not pleased with it. Then they further justify their stand and they say, that we, as a group of people, we are greater than you. Uh, we are more than you in terms of uh, wealth and in terms of manpower, oulad, children. Mm. So we have our tribal affiliations, we have our children, we have manpower, so we have human resources and we have other resources, capital resources. So whichever type of resources we need, we have. So why would we need God? 
and it is because of this we believe falsely that we will not be punished. So the most fundamental principle in believing is humility. If you're not humble and you, you cannot be, uh, you know, bowing down in front of someone superior to you, then you will not bow down. You will always assume that God is on your side if there is one. As in the story of the people, the two uh, people in Surah Kahf, right? the owners of the gardens and so on. So Allah is mentioning this phenomenon again, that this is how people think, this is how they behave, and it's no different today. Those who are filthy rich and they have millions and billions of dollars, they say, nothing's going to happen to us, you can't touch us, because we have everything. We have manpower, we have capital, we have labor, we have machines, we have factories, and we have businesses, we have real estate, and we have everybody in our back pocket, basically. Nothing's going to happen to us. So the Quran is warning people, be careful. All of this is all temporary. You're going to die one day, which will be the beginning of your punishment. So the Quran is saying to people that when a message comes, the message is usually delivered to those who feel they don't need the message. So when the message comes to people who know they need a message, they acquiesce, and they submit, and they believe. That is why in early Islam, in Mecca, you see that the seer of the Prophet confirms this that most of the affluent Quraysh did not believe, and most of the people who did believe were poor people, slaves, the disenfranchised, and those who were downtrodden and mistreated by community society, because they're already humble, or they're humbled by life. Either one. They're humble in of themselves, or they're humbled by life. Those who have risen above the humble experience of life, they don't see the need for any guidance, and hence they will be very difficult to convert and to convince. This is the rule of human history. And throughout history, you will see that this is a norm, not that it is uh, something that Allah wants people to do, it's just how people are. So if you want to study this as per your anthropology or societal values and, you know, your, your study of the human being as a historical phenomenon, this will hold true also. And this is the message the Qur'an is given to the Quraysh, that, look, the Qur'an is a revelation. It reveals human behavior in human history. Take a step back and reflect on this phenomenon. If the Quran was not a true book, why would the Quran mention this as a reality, as a fact? To show that the Quran is a revelation. So the Quran does not ignore or deny a fact. This is the fact that whenever a messenger is sent, 
to a group of people who are affluent, they're usually the first to reject the message. This is a factual statement, and it's a revelation. Now, if you don't want to believe in the Qur'an, you cannot reject this fact and say, we don't believe this because it is true. Right. It's a historical fact. Like if you say the Qur'an is not true because the Qur'an, if it does, which it does, explains how the embryonic development of the fetus occurs in, in the womb. Now, you take a step back and say, why is the Qur'an saying this? Because this is a scientific fact. I say, well, maybe because the Qur'an is revelation, you should believe that everything else in the Qur'an is also a fact. So if there's a fact about human history in human society, take a step back and say, this is what the Qur'an is saying, and it is true. So if this ayah is true, then everything else in the Qur'an must also follow suit. Therefore, you can't say, we will never believe in this Qur'an. By hook or crook, you have to believe that the Qur'an has truth in it. And this is the truth. You've verified it because you go to Yemen and you go to Syria, Sham, in the winter and in the summer and you see the ruins of other nations who are affluent before you. This is a verifiable fact. And you know this. Why are you denying this? You don't deny the fact, but then you deny the fact that the Qur'an mentions this fact. The total hypocrisy and double standards and total arrogance. This is how the Qur'an is addressing the Quraysh through these ayat, that this is what is going to happen on the Day of Judgment, that those who follow you, and they, they will blame you on the Day of Judgment for not allowing them to believe in the Qur'an. And this will be another uh, form of uh, blame on you, against you, on the Day of Judgment. Yeah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings to us another fact of human life, which is not based on history, but based on the rules of the divine. So human history will have many components. One is what human beings do throughout human history. The other is what Allah does for human beings. This ayah, ayah 36 belongs to the second group where Allah is discussing what He does for human beings. قُلْ إِنَّ رَبِّي يَبْسُدُ الرِّزْقَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَقْدِرُ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُ Say, O Muhammad وسلم, the truth is that my Lord, who is Allah, He is the one who spreads out risk. Basat means to spread out. So Allah spreads out, and if you want, as a general translation, extends, or expands risk for whomever he wishes. And he restricts it for whomever he wishes. This abundance of wealth and the lack of abundance in risk, not necessarily wealth, it's risk, comes from Allah, my Lord, because He is the one who controls it, and He is the one who owns it, and He is the one who creates it. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the Quraysh primarily, 
And every other reader of the Quran is saying that risk is in the hands of Allah. He sometimes he broadens the spectrum of risk for people, and sometimes he restricts the spectrum of risk for people. It is totally in his hands. Right. This is what you believe as a Nabi, and this is what they should see in human history. Yeah. Here, what is uh, interesting, and I have alluded to this before, is the word risk as opposed to the word man. Right. Risk is different from mal, as uh, you know. Some people may have a lot of mal, which is wealth, but their risk will be restricted because they can't eat, or they don't eat, or they don't have time to eat. But they have mal, they have money. Others may not have mal that much, money, wealth, but they eat plenty, and freely, and with sukoon, and with pleasure. So the mal doesn't dictate your risk. It's Allah who di- dictates your risk, because Allah is a razaq, and he gives to every species that he creates, regardless of their ability to acquire and hoard Mal, wealth. Allah feeds the worm, and then he feeds the worm to the bird. <laughs> In your food chain. <laughs> but he feeds. Now, do birds own anything? No. Does the plankton own anything on the sea? No. Do animals own anything? But Allah provides for them. He gives risk to all of these species that He has created. That there's no creature on earth except that Allah is in charge of its risk. So risk is not always tied to money. And vice versa. So Allah will extend and open up the risk for people, even though they may not have money, as much as those whose risk is restricted. This is a function of Allah's lordship, Allah's rububiyyah. Allah is the one who is everyone's rub, and he will provide risk, because he is the rub of everyone. He is rabbun nas, and so on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking the Prophet to inform the Quraysh that even though you may have a lot of money, you may not be able to eat whenever it is you want to eat. Because that is determined by Allah, not by your money. Money doesn't regulate necessarily where you eat, how you eat, and what you eat. Sometimes it does, but that shows you you're not in charge. You're not in charge of the provisions that Allah gives. Allah gives you provision the same way he gives others provision. But then, the ultimate reality is, But the truth is, most men and people, they do not know. Because they never think this way. 
until they read the revelation in the Quran and the statements of the Prophet ﷺ and they hear the statements of wise people, then they realize that this is a truth, it is reality. And thereby they are humbled because they accept the truth. And they are not humbled if they don't accept the truth, even though the truth is real. In that sense, the Quran is most people don't know how to handle the truth and how to acknowledge and accept and acquiesce to the truth. In that sense, Layalamun would be a factual statement. So the Quran is saying that this is a statement of the truth. This is a revelation. How can you say you will never believe in this Quran and everything that is in front of it that comes with it? Your own statement is false about belief in the Quran. Quran then takes us one step further. وَمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَلَا أُولَادُكُمْ بِالَّتِي تُقَرِّبُكُمْ عِنْدَنَا زُلْفَا إِلَّا مَنْ آمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَأُولَئِكَ لَهُمْ جَزَاءُ ضِعْفَ بِمَا عَمِلُوا وَهُمْ فِي الْغُرَفَاتِ آمِنُونَ So it is neither your wealth nor your children with which you seek closeness to us تُقَرِّبُكُمْ that, that is not what is going to clo- draw you close to us. Zulfa means proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in rank. Except for the one who believes and does good deeds. Now, wealth and children, they are both a form of ni'mah that we must be thankful to God for. There is no doubt that both wealth and children are a gift from Allah and they are gifts of life. But if you feel that because Allah has given you wealth and children that necessarily by default you are close to God then the Quran says no, that is not true. Provisions by themselves don't make you favored in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What makes you favored and special in front of Allah is illa man aman. That if you believe that this is from Allah, wa amila salih, and you do good deeds according to how Allah wants you to perform and behave, then you will be drawn closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of your money, your wealth, and because of your children. And because of all the worldly benefits and gifts that Allah has given you. But you cannot conclude or judge that since God has given me provision and providence, God is now very close to me and I am close to him. They are just tools, asbab, by which you may go one of two ways. Either the good way and either the other way, the bad way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to human beings that wealth in of itself is not necessarily going to bring you close to God. Children by themselves and manpower is not going to necessarily bring you closer to Allah. What's going to bring you closer is how you behave with these in our heart and with these gifts and bounties from Allah. If you behave appropriately by believing that the ni'mah comes from the Mun'im. The one who gives Ni'am is Allah. The Mun'im. 
The Munaim is the reason I have these ni'am, these blessings, and I must serve him by believing in him and by doing what he wants me to do. Then Allah says, فَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ جَزَاءُ الْضِعْفِ For them, there will be much more manifold compensation, a much greater compensation. There will be a double reward because you have overcome the temptation of the owning and possessing and temptation of uh, misleading your children and your children misleading you. Wealth misleads you and children mislead you. Right? Why? Because you want to make sure your children are happy and they're happy with you. If you feel that you're not making your children happy, you may succumb to the pressures of uh, their manipulation and concede defeat and do something that Allah doesn't want you to do. <laughs> it's very tempting. Very normal and very natural. Okay. So because you override that temptation to please Allah instead of your children, you get double the reward. The the manifold and the extra reward is for overcoming the design and temptation. As is mentioned in other parts of the Quran. Indeed your wealth and your children, they're means of trial and tribulation. If you have plenty of money, you will be tempted to use it and abuse it in ways that are totally haram because you have wealth and money. If you don't have money and wealth, then the idea of using, abusing something you don't have does not occur. When you have money, I can do this, I can do that. So you'll be tempted by money itself and you'll be tempted by others who are with you and they want to enjoy life uh, at your expense. Just like your children want to enjoy life at your expense. Which is normal. But then you rise above that temptation and you believe in Allah and you do good deeds and you mold your wealth and you mold your children according to the desires of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you do that, For these people, there is a double reward. There is a reward that will be multiplied because of their ability and their desire and their tawfiq to overcome and override what others want them to do. Right. So now, in the vein of understanding the previous ayat, those who are deemed weak, meaning children, now manipulate you, and they become those who are arrogant. Paradigm flips. <laughs> children are weaker than you, but it is the weaker that seem to do- dominate those who think they are uh, with the upper hand. So parents, unfortunately, succumb to the desires and the feelings of their children. Invariably, some more than others. So the Quran says, be careful. Mm. Just be careful that they don't lead you to something that's going to draw you not close to him, but uh, repel you from Allah. And make sure make you go away from Allah. So this is the Quran. Uh, making this factual statement 
again. Right? It's a very factual statement. It is not, as I have said many times before, the Quran reveals the truth, the haqq. The Quran never hides the haqq, the truth. This is the truth about wealth, and this is the truth about children. None of you can argue against it, because you've all been there, done that, unfortunately, <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. And then, at the end of the day, you're still planning for their future, even when uh, some of us, inshallah, become grandfathers and grandmothers, and some of us already are grandfathers and grandmothers. We know how that goes to Right? Even then the grandchildren deceive you, manipulate you, and you're still thinking of pleasing your grandchildren in ways that are sometimes not conducive to being Sharia compliant. <laughs> right. This is a factual statement. What I'm saying is the Quran is a revelation of the truth. Yeah, this is the haq. The haq is revealed with the Quran. When the Quran speaks, then it's speaking the truth. Those who read the Qur'an must appreciate the Qur'an as the truth and then conform to the truth and then reform according to how Allah wants them to. This is the meaning of illa man aman, those who believe in the truth, salihan and reform so that they perform good deeds. And for them, فَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ جَزَاءُ for them, there is a double reward or a multiplied reward for overcoming the temptation to succumb to wealth and to succumb to the unnecessary shenanigans of their children. The necessary issues are necessary. We're not saying don't spend on your children because that's been niggardly. That is a bukhul. You can't do that. You must spend on your children, but in a wise way, in a way that is conducive to being closer to Allah. If you do that, then the Qur'an says, your ultimate destiny, وَهُمْ فِي الْغُرَفَاتِ آمِنُونَ They'll be living in heavenly chambers, غُرَفَات Apartments in Jannah, آمِنُونَ Secure from the temptations of wealth and the temptations of their children. In Jannah, there is nothing except peace, right? So the word aminun in a place where there is peace has to mean something more than secure. Who are you secure from? From anyone, everyone who wishes to deceive you. Who are they? You, your spouse, your children, your wealth. So in Jannah, all these luxurious forms of bliss will not be there to deceive you and to tempt you. They'll be there to help you enjoy life. Whereas in this life, you're not aminun. You're in a state of khawf. And you're not in a state of aman and security. In this life, you don't have aman because you have fitna. Fitna. What is fitna? Test. A trial. So in this life, you're not safe from the fitna of money. You're not safe or secure from the fitna of your children, your spouse. You're not safe from the fitna of your friends, of your peers. You're not safe or secure from the fitna of your family members, your relatives, society in general. There's no aman. Why? Because you're in a state of test. In Jannah, there's no test. In Jannah, it's just bliss. You enjoy 
without any fear of temptation because there the idea is to be tempted to enjoy. Here the idea is not to be tempted because if you're tempted and you go the wrong way, then you may be in trouble. So the last statement, وَهُمْ فِي الْغُرَفَاتِ آمِنُونَ must be understood in the sense that there is fitna in assets in this world. There is no fitna in the assets of Jannah. And you'll have these apartments and chambers that will be divinely designed through the architecture of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself and through the coordination of the angels and there will be luxurious apartments where the goal will be to enjoy as much as you can. But that only comes when you don't enjoy everything in this world. If you do enjoy, you enjoy only in such a way that is allowed. And if you enjoy the other way, you may not have security on the Day of Judgment. Anyway, what I'm saying is that the more you understand the words of the Qur'an, the more you will realize that the Qur'an is a haqq. It is the truth, the ultimate truth, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the truth in the Qur'an. For those people, now if, if you are a member of the Quraysh, if you were there at that time, or if you are a Bedouin Arab, and you are seeing and hearing all of these words of the Qur'an being revealed and recited, you're saying, what is this? This is mind-boggling stuff. That you are promising us a life after we die, where there is peace and security from life, and we don't have to fear anything there, and we will have these luxurious homes in a place that is just full of bliss. And this is a wonderful uh, promise, because for us, we don't have too much in the world anyway. This is for the disenfranchised. When you're disenfranchised, and you're not from the haves, then these ayat are MashaAllah, uh, a, a breath of fresh air. SubhanAllah, I have something to look forward to in life and after life. If you are blessed in this world, as the Quran says, the revelation usually comes to those who are blessed, mutrafuha, those who are affluent, you will say, wait a minute, there's something else besides what I have in this world. So what I have in this world is temporary. And what I have in this world is going to terminate one day. So I should make sure that I prepare for a better lifestyle in the hereafter, after I die. So either group. And so the Quran is saying, no one should assume they are deemed weak. And no one should assume that they are proud and arrogant, that they can rule and govern others. The truth is, only Allah governs. لِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي بِيَدِهِ الْمُلْكُ Only Allah is a sovereign. Only Allah governs. Only Allah has total authority over people. So if you believe that Allah has authority over you, you will not fall into this trap of being tempted by power, nor will you fall into this sad case, uh, depressive mode and mood, where other people are controlling my life. Either way, Rise above it, and then you will see, Alhamdulillah, which is how the surah starts. How does the surah start? The surah starts with this ayah, Alhamdulillah, the huma fi samawati, huma fi al-ard. Right. All praise due to Allah, 
the one uh, for whom there is everything in the heavens and in the earth. So the, the state, the mood of the surah is to create and develop within each type of person this positive approach and image of Allah that he wants everyone to do better than what they are doing here. If you're in this group, you'll do better there. If you believe and do good deeds, if you're in this group, you'll do better there. If you believe and do good deeds. There's an equal opportunity for all people who have a mind and who have the ability to believe, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us to understand the Quran and give us a tawfiq to, inshallah, implement all the truths in the Quran with ease. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Ya Rahman